0: Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves.
1: Yeah, study this! What's good everybody, welcome to the Forbidden Technique podcast where today we have a slightly weird disjointed episode since my usual co-host Christian is currently on like a 20 hour drive home from New York where he was attending a fight show featuring fight site grappling analyst Ben Cohn where he won by emphatic technical knockout in the first minute. So congratulations Ben, we'll have more from that from Christian later. But first, um, for this weekend's main event, we have a particularly grapply one. So since neither me or Christian are like specially experts on the finer points of grappling analysis, uh, I've just done what heavy hands would do. And I've invited Ed Gallo to break this one down for us.
2: How's it going, Ed? It's going well. I'm, I'm used to MMA analysts using me as a crutch. Yep. I was getting tagged on Twitter like, Ed, what do you think of this? I'm like, don't, just, I can't. Don't make me do analysis for you on demand. Like I have to actually think about these things. It's not just automatic. Or it could be automatic, but I want to make sure I don't say anything dumb. So I have to think about it. And you're making me think. And it's a lot of work. And stop. Stop doing this to me. But you're okay. You gave me plenty of notice. And you've asked me to do a bunch of other stuff before this that I didn't do. So we're good now.
1: Well, it's all just, you know, it's all time restrictions. We've all got stuff to do. It's hard to have wanted to get you on the show for a little bit. but haven't been able to make the time work until now, but it's good to have you on, and particularly for this weekend's main event, which, uh, when I asked you to do it originally, was uh, Benil Dariush versus Islam Makachev, a clear number one contenders fight in the lightweight division. Mm-hmm. Uh, Benil Dariush out with an injury at the last minute, and kind of out of nowhere, Bobby Green stepped in two weeks' notice. Well, I mean, about the yeah, about a week's notice. It will have been two weeks to the day since he beat... Nasrat Hagprast on UFC 271. Uh, Bobby Green clearly just been one of the most well-rounded and skilled fighters in the lightweight division for so many years, but has just not quite had the direction to his game to actually get the big wins, but is really like reaching that Jorge Masvidal point where he's starting to put it all together in his career. And Islam Makachev, terrifying, suffocating grappler, training partner of Khabib does a lot of the same stuff not maybe not quite with the terrifying physical force of Khabib but executed at a very high technical level still very interesting matchup even with it being such short notice for Bobby Green who is in his own right an incredibly strong grappler and wrestler so Ed what do you think of Bobby Green's career development his skill set and where it's all led to where he is right now in his career?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so first of all, shout out to Bobby Green, the wrestler, two-time California state placer Bobby Green. High school wrestling is the best base for MMA, obviously. Uh, yeah, I've always liked Bobby Green. Uh, I watched him in Strikeforce, because I did used to watch Strike Um And I also, you know, I, ever, I feel like most MMA fans have that phase where they go back and they just watch every event they possibly can and try to catch up with everything. Uh, so, I watched him in uh, Affliction as well. <laughs> so, I've, I've known him for a while. Dan Lowe's on. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I've known about him for a while. And, you know, I didn't love him originally because, you know, there was all the same like bravado and showboating and hands down, and all that stuff. Um, but he wasn't doing that well in his fights. I'm like, what is this about? Um, but then, once he started to put together, and I was like, okay, like, he's good. He's good. Um, he outgrappled Jacob Volkman. He outwrestled and outgrappled Jacob Volkman, which is a big one. Jacob Volkman's an All American from the University of Minnesota. Um, the James Krauss fight is uh, an annoying one because I think that was actually a groin shot that the ref thought was above, and Krauss, you know quit because <laughs> he thought he got hit in the groin and wanted to stop fighting, and then they called it TKO. So that's is what it is. It but It was a
1: weird one because he definitely kicked him like clean in the balls like twice. Mm-hmm. And then the last one was kind of on the belt line, and it wasn't that clean. But he'd done so much attritional damage to James Krause's balls that it wasn't technically a bull shot. It was a weird gray area, but it you know it was basically a bull shot TKO. But that's uh, still a win on uh, Bobby Green's record. Mm-hmm. Actually, his last TKO win before uh, the Alvaro Quinta yeah. fight.
2: Yeah, um, and then honestly, the whole run from there to now has been Bobby Green trying to figure out. What the balance is between trying to make his defensive style work and being able to actually get volume off? Because he's he's always been good at being annoying to hit, um, but you know he has to figure out okay when am I getting my counters and How can I scare you off? Because he can't just defend over and over and over again, try to be slick. Because uh, like you saw in the Dustin Poirier fight, you could just keep on him and eventually land something big, and he can't just eat it. So he's been trying to find the balance with this approach for a while. Um, I, I really liked his performance in the Hawk Brass fight recently. I think that was probably the highest volume I've seen him in a long time. Um, he was really persistent about peppering those shots in high and low. Uh, so that was great. And yeah, he's been in similar form, uh, for the past couple of years, really just, you know, COVID era, Bobby green is, is like a different guy. Um, but yeah, he's, he's looked good in his past. I don't know, seven fights, maybe more than that. Uh, and he really only has one loss in his recent streak because the the Moises fight was a pretty bad decision.
1: Yeah, it was really great to see Bobby Green starting to put things together in his COVID-era run because he had that really just a dispiriting streak of annoying split decision losses where he just wasn't quite doing enough but really should have won a bunch of those fights, and it just seemed like he had all of the talent and a ton of depth of skill, but just was never going to quite put it together. Um, but it's just it's just been a really satisfying career arc, mm-hmm. and I just uh, wonder how all of that matches up at this point with Islam Makachev, who I just find incredibly hard to assess. Because I'm like, yeah, he's good, but kind of like Khabib rub like no one would give a shit otherwise, like kind of cares, he's fine. Mm-hmm. Like he out Dan Hooker. Yeah, that's cool. Whatever. But I mean, what do you think about Islam <laughs> Uh
2: So I've covered this topic a decent bit on the uh, Frozen <laughs> Fight Site MMA podcast.
1: The uh, MMA retired MMA
2: podcast. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, what even to say about that at this point. But uh, yeah, I've talked about it a lot. And basically, it's like you're saying, it's not that I don't love him as a fighter. I mean, I don't love him as a fighter. I like him okay, but my reaction to him, like whether or not I want things to go well for him, is a lot of me being resentful because people are like, oh my God, it's the second coming of Khabib. This is so great. He's amazing. He's the best. And it's like, all right, yeah, his record is very impressive looking. I'm a, I'm a sucker for a lot of green on your record. I get it. Um, he's got some finishes. You know, The, the names on his resume are... Recognizable. Um, those aren't. It's not nobody. It's a fairly consistent level of opposition. It's definitely not he nobody. Really. Yeah. He really hasn't fought anybody of any sort of difficult style for him in the top. Because 10. it's lightweight. Yeah. In the top ten now, and now lightweight is a lot more grappler heavy in the top fifteen than it was even a year ago. So that's good news that we don't just have one guy who can grapple and a bunch of strikers, and then they all get exploited and then we're left wondering what is this guy's actual ceiling because it might just be circumstantial. So that's kind of where we are, where he really still hasn't fought anybody that can challenge him in the upper echelon of the division. I mean, in, in a wormhole, not a wormhole. Oh my God. In a vacuum. Jesus. (laughs) I got my space terms mixed up. I don't know how that happened. Uh, (laughs) there you go. Professional podcasting. Uh, like Adriana Martins, good grappler, aggressive striker. He knocked him out.
1: South too.
2: Chris Wade. Chris Wade's a great a great grappler. He's a wrestler. They wrestled and grappled, and Pikachu was better. But that's not necessarily a difficult style matchup that you fight someone and that they are a wrestler. That doesn't automatically mean it's difficult because Chris Wade needs to grapple. You know, Nick Lentz needs to grapple. Same
1: with Davi He's, Hamosh and Armin mm-hmm. Sarukian.
2: Sarukian, yeah. All those guys, like, they don't, they're not, first of all, they're not good enough on their feet for it to be like a thing. They're like, oh, I will just not wrestle you. Uh, and the other thing is that they are just pathologically going to initiate grappling. The Surkian fight's especially annoying because Serukian's doing fine on the feet and then he keeps forcing the exchanges and like, stop. <laughs> stop doing that. <laughs> You're losing these exchanges. You don't need to do that. Um, so it's, I just haven't seen him in a fight where someone does the right thing. To make it difficult for him, and then he has to answer to that. It's always like he's in a kind of fight that's good for him, and that's basically been the way it is every time. And you know, a lot of people have opposition, you know, lineups that look like that, and they make mistakes and they lose fights. So it's like not like it's guaranteed that you're going to win. He's obviously good enough that if you give him a bunch of not layups but stylistic matchups at a level that aren't hugely threatening, he's going to win them. So that's where he's at right now. So I think his Status as like a top 10 guy is justified. But projecting anything beyond that doesn't really make sense just based on where we're at so far with uh, who he's fought and how it's looked.
1: So, what, what is your assessment just of Islam Makachev's skill set? He's good. Uh, it's a, I think this, the reason some people are
2: underwhelmed by him is because he has to live up to this expectation of being like Habib. And Habib is kind of a spectacle to watch because he is not smooth until he is in good grappling positions. Everything that happens between the start of the fight and when Kovid gets to his first good grappling position is pretty uh, hectic. Pretty wacky. Yeah, it's like he's he's going to wait for his moment or like force his way in in some ugly fashion and then have this huge burst of energy uh, where he go, works really, really hard to get that first big takedown. And then once he's in a grappling position, he looks like it's easy for him to you know rev up the pace and run his motor. But for Makachev, it's like he's always kind of cruising. Um, and he's doing things that make sense, but he's willing to take huge amounts of time where he's not doing much. Um, it's never like a big burst. It's always like slowly working his way into a good position. And he's just very patient. Uh, and the, you really never get that huge, like, oh my God, he's sprinting now moment. That you got with Khabib, which is one of the coolest things to watch about him. Uh, with Makhachev, it's just like, all right, he's fine on the feet. He picks his shots pretty carefully. Sometimes he pressures, sometimes he just kind of hangs out at space. He can shoot reactively. He can shoot proactively. He can pressure to the cage. He can work on the cage from the legs, upper body. Uh, he's got some stuff in the open space as well from upper body. He, he's, got a, he's diverse. He has, he has a pretty uh, wide breadth of skills. I wouldn't necessarily go with depth yet, just because, uh, like I said, we need to see a little bit more resistance uh, from people that can offer it. But breath is definitely there. He has a lot of a lot of skills. Um, he's a well-rounded fighter. I would say that he's a well-rounded grappler. He's a well-rounded wrestler. He can do most things that you would expect a wrestler or grappler to do. Same with Khabib. Like if he ends up on his back or in a bottom position, I'm not worried about him. Um, I know he's going to get up into a good position or sweep or reverse or whatever. Uh, He's pretty reliable. Physically, he's very strong. Cardio seems good. He keeps a solid pace. Nothing crazy. Um, Again, it's like those things don't really... You can't really evaluate them truly until you see someone be uncomfortable for long stretches of time, and you don't really get that much with him right now. So I'll talk about, whenever you're ready, uh, how I think that could come out in in the green fight, and also how it might just be another one where it's like we learn nothing.
1: Yeah, so I guess just one thing that is interesting about this that's different to basically all of uh, Makachev's wins on his current run is that the people he's been fighting are, like we said, either people who need to grapple with him but can't out-grapple him or uh, strikers who can't out-grapple him enough to be able to strike with him like Drew Dober and Dan Hooker. Mm -hmm. Bobby Green, a good wrestler whose wrestling skill set is entirely an ancillary tool to him being able to box you up. Mm-hmm. And I have no doubt that if he is on the feet for long stretches with Islam Makachev, he is going to box him up something awful. Mm-hmm. You're talking about Islam cruising a lot in his fights, he did seem to have an increasing sense of urgency against Dan Hooker. I don't know what that was... I don't know if that was just like he felt like he needed to make a statement or he just felt like he could submit Dan Hooker really easily mm-hmm. but it's still worth noting but he, he caught a kick right yeah Um. I think he just hit a reactive double as Hooker's hips were squared from throwing a low kick mm-hmm. got him down like that and just just come more at him in like a minute yeah I mean you take someone down in space in the beginning of a fight go nuts <laughs> why not <laughs> yeah just try some shit so, I mean, I'm always going to pick Bobby Green because I think he's cool and I think he genuinely has the skill set to have a good fight with, like, the winner of Oliver Gaethje if he wins this. I'm not saying I'd pick him, but I think he's going to do better in any of these matchups than the average person is going to give him credit for. But I'm incredibly biased. What do you think, Ed?
2: Yeah, I, I enjoy being biased towards Bobby Green. He's really cool. I like everything he does. Um, well... I don't like everything he does. So do you mind if I go on kind of a rant?
1: No, go ahead. This, this is what we got you here for. I
2: took some notes. I would like to go through them, just kind of share my observations and where I ended up with that. So I picked out two fights I was going to watch before this to, you know, solidify my thoughts that I thought would be informative. So from his recent run, didn't want to go too far back. Uh, so from the past two years, I watched his fight with uh, Tiago Moises, who is a common opponent between the two of them. And I watched this fight with Clay Guida because that was the first time I noticed, like, hey, Bobby Green's a good wrestler. Um, because they wrestled and grappled a ton in that fight. So I wanted to watch both, collect my thoughts, and see where, how it had me feeling about a potential matchup with Makachev. So I'll start with this. Overall, here's an important concept. So when you talk about wrestling and MMA, you can evaluate skills independently. And like, how does he execute these types of techniques? What are his instincts like defensively? How does he position himself offensively? What kind of attacks does he take? You can analyze all those things independently. In and that that's what they are. So, uh, for example, Brad Tavares. Fundamentally pretty sound as a wrestler. Doesn't do a lot as a fighter to make it hard for people to start wrestling him. But his defense is pretty good. They so you would call him a good defensive wrestler. Bobby Green is a pretty good defensive wrestler as well. But he does a lot that works as an anti-wrestler as well. That's a different, separate term. that has more to do about your process and the way that you strike than it does about anything that happens once you're already in a wrestling situation. Does that make sense so far? Yes. So Israel Adesanya, decent defensive wrestler. Better anti-wrestler, I would say. It's mostly about him making it hard to get to him in the first place so that you don't have a clean bite to start your exchange. You're trying to wrestle him from an already disadvantageous position, much easier to defend, works better for you. So, Yeah, I
1: remember once uh, Dean Thomas saying about Charles Oliveira, he throws that teep kick up the middle because that's part of his wrestling defense. And I was like, no, Dean, that's anti-wrestling. I learned that from Ed. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, yeah, but you know, he's technically right. Like it, it is wrestling defense to throw straight shots to the body, uh, which is one thing that Bobby Green does that is really, it bodes well as a defensive wrestler. And they're actually a you know, credit to the UFC commentators uh, in another fight because uh, I think it was the Guida fight that he was throwing straights and jabs to the body. And I think Bisping um, started talking about it being good wrestling defense and whoever the other commentator was as well. So they know. Uh, and I mean Bisping would know because his whole career was try- trying to not get grappled um, Yeah, hitting straight to the body is awesome because one, if you're throwing body shots correctly you're changing your level so wrestling defense the first line of defense head, hands, hips so if someone shoots on you if your head is in the way of their head, they can't penetrate past that point. If your hands are there stop their hands, they can't get to your legs if you get your hips back they also can't get to your legs so lowering your level to match your opponent's shot is pretty important. So if you're already down to throw the body shot, there you go. Built-in defense. Um, when you throw the shot to the body, the straight shot to the body, when they try to change levels and close distance linearly forward on you, they run into that shot. You know, it's a, it's a block. It's a uh, It's a stabby thing they run into. So that's not fun. You know, and a jab to the body serves the same purpose. Straight kicking to the body a little more dangerous because if they're good at parrying straight kicks, uh, you could end up in a bad situation there. Um, Zach Makovsky actually said that he likes it better when people throw straight kicks on him because he thinks they're easier for him to counter and take people down off of, whereas more people probably say they like round kicks because you can just chamber it on your side and take it and do whatever you want. So it really depends on the individual skill set, but... Kicking can be a really good way to stifle wrestlers as well. And Bobby Green likes the uh, hopping sidekick to the leg. And he likes the straight kick to the body. More of a snap kick than a push kick. Um, so those are both good shots to use. And the snap kick even better than the push kick because the push kick you're extending, you're leaning back at the hips. Um, and you leave it out there a little longer. The snap kick just comes up from the, from the floor, hits his target, and you bring it back into your stance. Uh, so that's great. I think Bobby Green... Taking center is automatically good because a lot of wrestlers need the cage. They don't really like to attack until they're at the cage. So holding center, pressuring, those are great things to do. That's why everyone was saying, oh, Justin Gaethje kind of has a chance against Khabib because he's a good pressure fighter. He likes to take the center. He likes to pressure. He could spend a lot of time not with his back to the cage. And then, of course, immediately he backed up in in the beginning of the fight, and that didn't happen. Um... But this is somebody I think I trust (laughs) to to not do that. Um, So pressure fighting, holding center, not ending up with your back on the cage. Those are all good things. Hitting the body, um, level changing, hands down to catch shots uh, is definitely helpful. So all those things on their own contribute to a pretty good anti-wrestling approach on the feet for Bobby Green. Uh, But negatives that make him easy to wrestle, his Stance and his footwork, absolute mess. Absolute mess. He breaks his stance all the time. He turns sideways all the time. He brings his feet together all the time. Um, he like steps through his stance to cover distance. He he does a lot of things where I'm just like, oh my god, dude. Um, I think the same thing when I watched Sean Strickland, like if you fought someone that wanted to shoot on you, you'd be in trouble. And if you look at Sean Strickland's record, he hasn't. He hasn't fought people that want to shoot on him. Uh Whereas Bobby Green obviously has fought wrestlers and grapplers, which is why I'm talking about it right now. But the stance breaking is really bad news, um, especially because he does it defensively as well. So he gives up ground defensively. He likes to lean back, shoulder roll, things like that. And his feet are usually in pretty bad defensive position, both as a striker and as a a grappler, uh, when you push him backwards. So uh, he gives up a lot of ground as well. So I, I don't like him defensively in terms of his positioning. Uh, In terms of his ring craft, I don't think that's very good. But when he's offensively minded, more volume focused, he's the one moving forward. I think that's his best bet where he just takes little steps back, you know, leans back a little bit, tries to get like his counter jab or his counter check hook. Um, But again, his exits in those situations are sloppy. His feet are sloppy there. And that is pretty rough because someone smart would say, okay, as soon as he goes to take back space after he, you know, jabs, which is something he does pretty consistently, that's a good time to shoot on him because he's going to be leaning back, hips forward, feet together, just double him, honestly. Um, and I, I didn't see anybody try to do that um, in any of these fights. Uh, so are you still with me? Okay. So specifically the Moises fight. Um, one thing that I noticed as well with you know, the way that Green moves around is that it was pretty easy for Moises to kick him up. Uh, a lot of round kicks. Uh, high and low were he was he was hitting him very clean early on and then when green was actually checking the kicks then voice was starting to faint them and come back in and use those for his entries uh as a striker which was helpful so the kicks really bothered green i don't think that's a big part of Mikacha's game i don't think that'll be an issue
1: which is also interesting because i think green had a lot of really good ideas for mitigating damage from rafael fazeev's kicks mm-hmm. which may have just been like like he knew Fazeev was going to try to kick the shit out of him. Yeah, more specific preparation.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: interesting. So,
2: yeah, I, I, again, all the stuff from before, I said before still applies in this fight. Uh, positioning was pretty good, but when he's being very reactive, that's when he gets himself into trouble. Um, Moises' first attempt to get the fight to the ground, he did an entry I really don't love. Uh, a lot of Sara Longo guys do this. You step through the rear straight, and then in your new stance, you take your shot, so you're moving forward the whole time. Um, It worked well because it was near the cage. That was basically the reason why it was okay. Um, But Green defended the way he normally defends, and then by the time that Moises was level changing, Green's stance was completely compromised. He was standing straight up, he was leaning a little bit back, he was near the cage, and Moises beat him on the entry. So even though Green afterward went to the side on stance and tried to apply proper defense from there, if he beats you on the entry super bad, you get deep on a double against the cage and your legs are already too close together, you can't win. Uh, so he pulled him off the cage and finished the double in space, but Green scrambled with him really well and got up. But it just it wasn't a good look that he got taken down that way so early because Makacha will do that. Um, that's something he can do. So that was not great. Um, like I said, it's your first layer of defense so that's probably the most important. Especially in a fight where uh, you don't want to end up in prolonged grappling exchanges. I think what bails him out in both these fights is that he could grapple with Moises and Guida and I don't think that'll be an option here.
1: Yeah, so that's what I was going to get to. What do you think about Bobby Green's ability as a scrambler and how the fight's going to go if he does get put in grappling positions?
2: Yeah, I'll get there. I, I'm like going slow. I have a lot more to say. Okay,
1: okay. That's cool, man. Keep laying going. out my thesis.
2: <laughs> but... Uh, you're talking about his wrestling as like an ancillary skill set that just serves to keep him up. He's been wrestling more offensively lately. He took down Guida and Moises in, in both these fights multiple times. Yeah, so he pressured Moises to the cage, shot a double, switched the single, got height in the single, and tripped out the base leg and got side control. Um, and then Moises had a really cool regard situation and then uh, went to a heel hook and they fought in 50-50. And what I thought was interesting in that situation was uh, that Green just solely focused on not getting heel hooked and just try to get out of there. And he wasn't trying to like get a height and win the scramble. He was just trying to disengage. So there's a weird disconnect with that and how he treats other grappling situations. So um, the, my last note for that fight before I go on to the Guida fight, which will have to say more about grappling and wrestling, um, he also level changed under Moises, like winding up on a big hook. He reactive shoots under him into a body lock and takes him down against the cage from a body lock um, and then gets out scrambled there, ends up on bottom uh, and just kind of hangs out on his knees against the cage for a long time. And Moises just made a big mistake and let, gave him a lot of space and he's able to get out at the end, but uh, it was a really bad look. So that, that wasn't great. That was in the third round. Um, there's more that I didn't like in the Guida fight. So, first of all, Clay Guida, old. He's so good, though. Small. Old and small. But he's in his prime. so <laughs> he's, he's doing great. He's doing great for himself. So, again, I, I was noticing a lot of the stuff I didn't like. Breaking his stance a lot. The Ringcraft didn't love it when he wasn't attacking. Um, he has a bad habit. So, it's not wrong, technically, because this is MMA. But it depends on what your goals are. So, when someone shoots on you, and their head's outside, most MMA fighters grab the head. Because they want a guillotine, right? That's very common. That's a very common defense. It, it worked out for him a few times in this fight, where he was able to get his like standing guillotine grip, like a uh, no arm, uh, and use that to put Guido on his back and win the scramble. But what you're doing when you grab the head defensively, on like, a single leg, for example, is you're pulling your opponent closer into you. You're keeping their head on your hip. So if you don't get the guillotine, you're taking yourself down when you do that. Um, it's not just when you pull guard on a guillotine. When you go to the guillotine at all, it's, it's not the ideal defense. So when I'm like coaching wrestlers, for instance, and the guillotine's not a thing, <laughs> I get so mad when they grab the head. I'm like, 100% of the time in this situation you should be cross-facing. You should get your arm under their face, not over their head. If you, have it, if you have your arm on that side available to use, go under their face, cross-face, lift their head up, pull their head up. Because Bobby Green's a good clinch fighter. he is good in the clinch. It would serve him very well to turn shots into clinch situations, which does happen in this fight. But two times in the first round against Clay Guida, Guida shoots a single, Green grabs the head, gets driven to the cage, and Guida freaking slams him, <laughs> lifts him, lifts him and slams him on his back and takes his back um twice. Exact same sequence twice in the first round, has his back. So that's horrible. That's a really horrible thing to have happened if you were about to fight Islam Makhachev, i would say that. Who is much more dangerous on your back <laughs> than, than Clay Guida, and is probably much more likely to finish in those situations and it's a lot bigger. So I hate that he is looking for counters in those situations because again, you don't want a pro- you don't want prolonged grappling sequences in this fight. You want to disengage as soon as possible. On the bright side, he had really good moments where he, in the second round, I guess maybe his corners had stopped freaking doing that. Um, he stopped grabbing the head. He was cross facing and limp legging out of the singles multiple times, disengaging really easily. Um, and then he really committed hard to pressuring Guida and Guida obviously wanted to close distance. So they're crashing into each other a bunch again, these clinch situations, but you know, green starts with his hands down. He fires off a shot and It was back. Um, he got in a really good habit of as soon as that space is created after he throws his punch, putting his frames up in front of him. Uh, and those frames were turning into collar ties and, uh, he was getting the double collar tie a lot. You can push off of that and get a lot of space away from your hips. And, you know, he was going knees uh, to the body and, and head as soon as he could. I'd say if he's fighting Makachev, just push off um, when he get there and just end it. Because uh, even if someone does have good cardio over and over again, trying to get into the grappling situations with you and getting uh, pushed off and pushed away, and then they keep coming at you and you keep walking them down and hitting your body, that could be bad news, right? So he has it in him. He has it in him. He knows how to do this. Um... But then in that same fight, after that round of success, (laughs) he goes back to grabbing the head (laughs) and starts getting taken down again. Um, And he also has a pretty similar situation to the Moises fight where Guida pressures, moves him back, he reacts badly, gets beaten on the entry, gets taken down clean. Um, And yeah, I think he just has these bad habits of looking for counters to situations like, oh, I'm going to hit a switch. Oh, I'm going to go for the Kimura trap. I'm going to get a guillotine. Uh, I'm going to scramble my way out of this and not do the procedural, technically perfect defense as a wrestler. And he's he's good. He's a good wrestler. He's a good grappler. So against the level of opposition he's been fighting, it works. And it buys him enough time to get back to his feet where he's a better striker than the people he's been fighting. Um, against Islam Akachev, I think he'll have to be really disciplined because... He cannot afford to be getting his back taken in the first round like that over and over again. You know, he can, he can get taken down in this fight. He can absolutely get taken down in this fight and still win. Uh, it's five rounds, right? Yep. It's five rounds. He has time. Um, he's got great cardio. He, he'll keep getting up. But he does get sloppier as the fight goes and Makachev seems pretty comfortable with just kind of riding out these situations and waiting for people to get sloppier and then go for it. Like the Moises fight, he was never having a hard time in that fight. He was kind of out on cruise control the whole time, and Makachev even took him down. Uh, I mean, Moises even took Makachev down at one point, and he was totally fine, you know what I mean? It's just like, I think he was just flowing through the positions because he wasn't really particularly threatened um, and had a moment where he got surprised. But... He's not going to lose a fight because Bobby Green takes him down once, so I wouldn't really put too much into that. It's going to be a thing where Bobby Green needs to maximize the amount of time he has on the feet. He needs to pressure. He needs to hit the body. He needs to kick the body. Um, he needs to hold center. He needs to push forward. Um, he can't be given up a lot of space when he moves up on the back foot. He can't be going for counters and trying to use grappling situations to save him from wrestling situations, if that makes sense. He needs to wrestle. He needs to wrestle purely. Um, don't go guillotine, don't go Kimura um, don't gramby, don't, don't hit a switch Like don't do any of that stuff uh, don't put yourself on the mat, pull him up into the clinch clinch with him and I know Islam Akachev is a very good clinch fighter but it's more about where is Bobby Green worse and he's worse on the mat than he is on the feet in a clinch situation so it's just best case scenario don't do that stuff so it's short notice doesn't have a lot of time to prepare that. Um, I don't know what his process is like in preparation. If he does specifically do things differently for different opponents, we talked about maybe there being a difference like with the kick preparation for Moises versus Fiziev or whatever. Or maybe because those fights, uh, you know, the Moises fight was first. Maybe because he got kicked up by Moises, he said, okay, I'll pay more attention to that in my next fight. Um, there's no way to know. But I don't think it's impossible for Bobby Green to win. He's just going to have to not make mistakes that he made a lot against worst opponents, which is never a good sign. And thus ends my essay. How are your feelings?
1: Um, Definitely less confident than I was. Oh. Still, pick, <laughs> still picking Bobby Green of course. by a, uh, fuck it, fourth round knockout. Mm-hmm. He's, never, he's never had a fourth round. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm calling it now, Bob, fourth round Bobby Green, mythical creature, no, I don't want to undersell Makchev. He is just—he's clearly very competent everywhere, and mm-hmm. has one area where of specialization where he's incredibly dangerous. That he is in a division which is pretty much ripe for the taking for people with that kind of specialization. Um, like you say, he has a lot of variety for how he can get to that to that area. You know, he can shoot, he can work on the fence. He's good at punching into clinches and hitting judo throws and sweeps and shit from there. Which, like you say, is probably the area where Bobby Green can have the most success. Mm -hmm. If he can just keep an open space as much, win the jabbing battle. You know, Bobby Green's, I think, a thing that works for Islam Makachev a lot is that MMA fighters, even in good divisions, hate jabbing with southpaws. Um, And he can just, like, have a ton of distance to jab people up and fight the lead hand while he's setting up his shots. That's not going to be an issue for Bobby Green. And um, it's just been a really long time since we've seen Bobby Green be consistently outgrappled and that actually be leveraged into a convincing win. That's fair.
2: All all fair observations. Uh, I'm looking forward to the fight because there's nothing to lose. If Bobby Green wins, that's amazing. We celebrate. We're popping champagne. If he loses, it was short notice against a stylistic matchup that wasn't great for him. Not terrible, but wasn't great for him.
1: And if Islam Makachev wins, then he's going to get fucking executed by Charles Oliveira.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a good fight for him. No. So yeah, I'm down. I'm down. I'm down to watch this one. Um, yeah, Benil Dariush was a better fight because I think Benil Dariush is actually very bad for uh, Islam Makachev. Until he, until he gasses out, and then he's, then he's good for him.
1: <laughs> I think Benil Dariush has a higher chance than a lot of people in the division of finishing Islam Makachev before that becomes an issue for him. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 I was like, look, Benny, you got to just run up to Islam and just fucking bomb on him in, with left hands. You can't lose. I'm down with that. I'm down with that strategy.
2: Just, just, just win. Do the win move.
1: But uh, is there any other fights on this card? I mean, probably not, but is there anything else you find remotely interesting that you want to just hit on real quick? Uh, <laughs> when
2: my man, Gregory Rodriguez, is fighting. Um, Robocop. Robocop. Yeah, he. Uh, I love when fighters can be really tired and still do stuff. You know, like they don't, they do fall apart when they're, when they're tired, but they can still somehow pull off. For not just winning, but to, like to do anything. Just to fight well tired is a very interesting uh, skill set. That's also definitely my wrestler bias. But um, that's
1: why I love Jacare. Yeah,
2: yeah, he's a he's he's a hoofed guy. I have a soft spot for all those guys just because they do have the the meat and potatoes kickboxing approach that you'd like to see from most MMA fighters. Um, and they're all just like stupid jacked and you know are the same person, just in different archetypes. So it's very funny to watch. But yeah, he, he's entertaining. He's a good grappler. He's a good wrestler. Um, he hits hard. He does some interesting things in the feet. He'll definitely guess out. Um, but it won't mean he loses necessarily. So I, I'm looking forward to him having further success in the UFC, definitely because he also lost. I think he got like knocked out by someone not good on the Contender Series. Now he's on this win streak and, and beating better people than, uh, than that guy for sure. So, yep. Just. Uh, You'd love to see it. Hoping, hoping to see him continue to grow. He's not young. He is 30, but that's not. He looks a lot older than that. So, <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised to see that he's only 30. Um,
1: but he is a middleweight and he's fucking yes. jacked. Yes. So, hopefully that's good. So, not, not a huge mm-hmm. problem.
2: And the only other thing that catches my eye is that uh Sirukian is fighting uh Alvarez, which is as we were talking about before the podcast, it's within the uh it, it all it's about Islam again, because uh <laughs> fought Mikachev and Alvarez fought Moises, who fight Mikachev, and now that Moises has lost to Alvarez, you need to keep them within the loop of people that have fought Mikachev, so it's all relative to each other and him. Because if you have Alvarez go fight like I don't know somebody bad, somebody like unranked that isn't that good, um, and he loses that, then it completely devalues Moises, which, you know, most people already realize, but um
1: Oh, but if he loses to Sayuki, and then it's fine right. because then Islam Makachev is still good. Exactly,
2: exactly. So I see your game, UFC matchmakers. I see what you do here. You can't fool me. But you know, maybe Alvarez is good. He might be and uh, Sorokian
1: I think Alvarez is good I just also think mm-hmm. he's a welterweight yeah he keeps missing weight he's <laughs> he keeps missing weight and for some reason they keep moving him up even though he misses weight in every fight mm-hmm. yeah, so well, I, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see if he misses weight and then like knocks out the number 12 guy in the division <laughs> and mm-hmm. just gets a ranking
2: I was giving uh, Armand Sorokian a little bit of uh, flack for not being more focused with what he is trying to do and like I, you know, again, we talked about how when he fought Makachev, he kept trying to wrestle him. I was like, stop it. <laughs> That's not your path to victory here. You're not winning these exchanges, even though you are a good wrestler. Um, because most of his the credit he gets from that fight is like having pretty good defense, um, as a wrestler. But yeah, he's the one initiating all these exchanges and then just not trying to win on the feet where he could have probably won. Um, and then you know, in other fights, he he was just better, but he didn't really push. Any game in particular, um, in the Yago's fight, he was very aggressive. Which uh, that's really all you can ask for is just if you're gonna not have <laughs> one particular direction you're working in, you, you gotta you gotta push harder. You gotta be more uh, assertive about whatever your game is, even if it's not that focused. Um, I think uh, a lot of fighters suffer from Rory McDonald syndrome. They try to get good at everything, and then they just go fight. It's like okay, that's not enough because there's too many variables in MMA. you need to focus on the thing that you're best at or whatever the biggest gap is in the matchup and just push in that direction because MMA fighters have big flaws, and you should always be going after those um, but you know that's that's more metagame talk um, if you haven't read danny martin's uh, MMA metagame series on the fight site, I recommend doing that so you can kind of start to see the big picture. But yeah, I, I mean, I like Sirki and he just annoys me a little bit. Where Whenever someone could be better stri- just with strategic changes, that always makes me angry because just, just think differently <laughs> and you'll automatically be better. You don't have to train any differently or get any new skills. Uh, just approach it a little differently and you'll have much more success. But uh, yeah, I'm, I just want to see where he ends up because he's 25. You know what I mean? He could end up being elite, He could end up being a gatekeeper. He could end up fizzling out. We have no idea. So I'm very intrigued to see what happens with him.
1: Okay, well, I think that'll just about do it. Thanks for coming on and pimping out your grappling expertise again.
2: You're welcome. If you ever want me to ramble about like two fights for a half hour, just let me know. Just give me enough time to watch two fights and I'm ready to go.
1: That's great. We normally get a half hour out of an entire ass cart. No, nah, I don't
2: know how to be short and brief. I am short, but I don't know how to speak shortly.
1: Okay, well, I'm good at um, talking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not gonna subject you to uh, Walker Hill or the other fights on this undercard. So bless you. We'll do. I'll do. I'll do some kind of editing, and we'll be joined back with Christian. Maybe I'll. And we'll put some music in, and do a plug or something.
2: This is me saying hi to Christian. This this should go on the podcast. I also don't call him Christian. I call him Karth, which I don't think is his name anymore, but.
1: I'd still call him Karth apart from when we're podcasting. All right. Well, there you go. All right. Cool. That's it. Remember, if you guys enjoyed this content, all the other stuff that fight the site does, then consider supporting us on Patreon. 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 You got all the shit you need MMA, boxing, Muay Thai. Jiu Jitsu, whatever the fuck you guys need. High quality analysis from all of your favourite analysts like Ed and Ben and many more. For just $3 a month, you get access to a library of like 200 videos breaking down fights and other stuff. From there you get a whole list of tiers, including a Discord server full of the chadliest chads on the internet, fucking content requests, scouting reports, instructionals, well, whatever the fuck you guys want. Support on Patreon. Bite side, bite side, bite side. Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. Okay, we're back. This is the next segment. I'm back with Christian. Hello. You know, we want to try and mention as much as possible in the rest of this podcast, but um, Ed talked for a really long time, so we're going to just keep it mostly quick. It's try and keep as brief as possible. But uh, before all that, Christian, how was New York and how was the fight show?
0: It was pretty good, and Ben beat the fucking shit out of his opponent.
1: Mm-hmm. It was out in under a minute, right? Yep, he, like the first
0: meaningful punch Ben landed, the guy got fucked up and then ran over to the cage and then Ben hit him with a Vitor Blitz. He got him with the Jiu-Jitsu.
1: Jiu-Jitsu! Jiu-Jitsu! jiu-jitsu. And so, um, you know, Ed had like a fucking thesis on uh, Bobby versus Islam. So, I mean, do you have any particularly deep thoughts on that one other than Let's Go Bobby Green? Nope.
0: Let's go, Bobby Green. That's enough. War Bobby, he's going to win easily. This
1: is a Bobby Green podcast. Yep,
0: I'm going to say fifth round finish just so for variety's sake.
1: Nice. So, co-main event, Misha Surkinov versus Wellington Turman. Um, I mean, Misha Surkinov should win, right? He's like an okay boxer. He's a very good grappler. He's huge for the division. His problem has mostly just been getting knocked out randomly by big punchers. And that's not Wellington Turman.
0: Yeah, I'm expecting his size to be the biggest factor in the fight, but I wouldn't be that surprised if he gets chinned.
1: I maybe kind of would be, but it is Misha Surkinov. Uh I got Surkinov submission round two.
0: That's a good pick. I'm going to say submission round one.
1: Gion Kim fighting Priscilla Cashwera. Um, I'm surprised they're keeping Priscilla Cashwera Around in the organization, given her uh, her current form and trying to gouge out Jillian Robertson's eyes when she was stuck in a rear naked choke. Um, and then Gion Kim is your typical uh, boxer who can't make their framework because it's just too long. Um, f- for someone with, I think, a 72-inch reach, is that right? At women's flyweight? Uh, she, she is constantly just getting her guard worked around and can't see punches coming. And um, that might get, no- get, might get knocked out by Priscilla Cashwera, who is not very good. Famously, a can bought in for Valentina to look good against. Um, but she's like really tough and she hits really hard for the division. And she doesn't quit. So I don't know. What do you think?
0: I'm going to pick Sh I think she gets too much criticism despite not being good. She's very <laughs> tough. She seems durable enough. And she does try her absolute best, which counts for a lot, especially whenever you're as physically strong as Cachoeira is seeming to be. So I'm expecting Cachoeira to win by decision. By decision? Yeah, maybe finish. Although I could definitely see Priscilla getting kind of boxed up for long stretches of the fight and dropping in a split. Definitely. I think it's a closer match fight than most would anticipate,
1: I think it's pretty close, but i, I i'm I'm leaning cash wearer for whatever reason, but also won't be surprised if she actually does get stuck on the end of G Kim's reach and just gets jabbed up a bunch um I'm in Sayukian versus Hoel Alvarez. This is an interesting matchup. me and Ed hit on briefly again, kind of weird that Joel Alvarez is getting a push-up at lightweight, given how much he's missed weight. But um, you got to keep Islam Makachev looking good. So, I mean, what do you think? Armin Sayukian the uh consummate all-rounder, he's just basically pretty good at everything, but that, I think, gives him a bit of an issue that he's not entirely sure about what the direction of his game is. And whole Alvarez is just like violence all the time. He's just like clinched knees and opportunistic submissions. So, uh, I don't know. How does that match up?
0: I think I'm. I think if Serkine gets him down, of course it's going to be very difficult. But I'm just getting the feeling that Alvarez is going to miss weight by like three pounds and then defend one takedown and win in an exchange in the first probably, uh, or in my estimation, I, I think he's going to get him with elbows. He's he's very good at using his length and also is no slouch when very close. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say third. I'm going to say first-round finish for Alvarez. I was thinking maybe he could hurt him and then like, kind of turn that into a longer fight just by getting Surkin's respect. But I, I feel like it's more likely if Alvarez wins, it's just going to be sudden.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree. But I also can really just see... how Alvarez is one of those guys who's really fun, but you just look at his game and you're like, how much longer is this going to keep working? Like, really... And I'm just, I'm not going to be remotely surprised if Armin Sayukian, once he's able to establish ground positions on him, he just kind of locks him down and shuts down any uh, weird opportunistic bullshit that whole Alvarez wants to go for to finish the fight in a singular instant. And I think Sayukian's probably defensively responsible enough on the feet to get the decision. So, uh, Gregory Rodriguez, my man, Hobo Cop versus Armand Petrosian. Uh, Gregory Rodriguez is pretty cool for a middleweight. He's kind of the second coming of Jacare Souza in that he's just like all forward aggression. He's kind of slow and doesn't have great defense, but is always trying to take the initiative offensively, just trying to push people back and throw huge power and get big takedowns to take the back and work for rear naked chokes. And Armand Petrosian is like... Just like an okay kickboxer, I only really have what I've seen from him in his Contender Series fight, where to his credit, he was uh, upperweight class at short notice, came in pretty light, and was fighting a guy who was really determined to take him down and take his back, put him in some bad positions early, but uh, he was able to work out of it and showed just his really good sense of positioning and shot selection. and Got, got a really nice knockout. I don't know how much there is to project for like, his potential in the middleweight division, but if he gets past Gregory Rodriguez, then that, that says good things for him about working through a division where there aren't that many strong wrestlers and grapplers these days.
0: I think from what I've seen of Petrosian, he has a, like a decently high ceiling, and I don't think this fight is going to be a good test for what his ceiling is. I just think he may lose it because he's, he's pretty inexperienced. But if he loses, I don't think it's like a bad look. Uh, Rodriguez is a hard guy to fight when you're six and
1: one. Yeah, I agree. Like this could easily be a prospect loss for Petrojan that doesn't put a hard cap on how well he can do at middleweight. Yep, I think I'm probably picking Gregory Rodriguez by submission. But I think this is a this is a sleeper banger middleweight fight.
0: Yeah, if it gets to a second round, it actually could get real violent because I think the first round is almost definitely going to be Rodriguez pursuing takedowns actively and Petrosian just doing his best to defend.
1: But Rodriguez goes hard and gets tired. He still goes hard when he gets tired, but he does get tired. Yep. You know, so if Petrosian can just kind of chill, defend, take him into deep waters, then it, it, it could get nasty for Hobo Cup down the stretch. Uh, Ignacio, Baja Mendes versus Jurong's Kind of cool, lightweight prospects fight. Ginny Frey versus Hannah Goldie is a fight that I'm weirdly fascinated with for some reason, even though I don't don't think it's going to be very good and I don't really have anything technical to say about it. Last fight worth really going into and honestly one of the best skill matchups on the card, weird it being this low down, is uh, Alejandro Perez versus Jonathan Martinez. Perez... Is just a classic hard-working all-rounder. He can do a little bit of everything. He's quite physically limited, but focuses on just being able to have a decent amount of breadth to his skill and having different things that he can go to to navigate different matchups. He can box a little bit and he can hit some takedowns and he's pretty good on top and has some sneaky submission skills. Jonathan Martinez, on the other hand, is like a pretty cool Southpaw kickboxer. Does a lot of the classic Southpaw stuff. You know... Uh, Building the left hand into the left body kick and left high kick. It's really good with stepping through with knees and like running people onto counter knees. It has a pretty good sense of positioning, decent footwork to set all of that stuff up. Um, people kind of clown on him because he got knocked out by Davey Grant, but Davey Grant's just just kind of fucking sick. So, like, deal with it. Um, so, yeah, I think this should be a good fight. I'm kind of leaning. Towards Jonathan Martinez by a knockout, but this could be a real two true kind of fight where it's just like, how much does Jonathan Martinez tune up Alejandro Perez before he gets taken down and potentially controlled for de- decent stretches of time and or submitted?
0: Yeah, I think Jonathan Martinez having a like marked shot selection advantage in regards to like what he does leading to attrition finishes. He, he's good at kicking the body. He punches the body well. He is very violent whenever he hurts someone, so I think if someone's going to get a finish, it's it's going to be Martinez, and I'm going to pick Martinez by KO round three.
1: This fight just shows the depth of bantamweight that these guys probably aren't aren't even potentially top twenty. I still think this is a great skill matchup. It's like bantamweight has enough people to fill an entire extra division of just like kind of cool, athletically limited technicians. So. You know, winner of this could fight someone like John Castaneda, and you got another great fight there. And so just to wrap up the podcast, we're going to look back to last weekend's event. Ended up being headlined by Johnny Walker versus Jamal Hill. And we said Jamal Hill was going to KO Johnny Walker in the first round. But there's no way we could have predicted that it would be that funny. Uh I mean, Johnny Walker fell like Crash Bandicoot in the game over screen. It was... It was was a good knockout. Um, Johnny Walker kind of just let Jamal Hill back him up whenever he wanted to. Eventually decided he had to stand his ground and throw back. They traded a right hand. Uh, Jamal Hill kind of got stunned. And Johnny Walker got knocked the fuck out. That's kind of it.
0: Yep. Jamal Hill is a problem at light heavyweight, but he's been a problem. People just started underrating him because he lost to Paul Craig.
1: Yeah, I think I like Jamal Hill. And uh, to me, the Paul Craig fight only kind of makes his stock go up, not just because it's like one of the funniest light like, heavyweight moments I've ever seen, but he he wasn't worried for a moment in that fight. Like he's there again, elbowed, his arms snapped and all flopping around in stupid directions and shit. And he's like, I'm fine. I'm going to work out of this. And the ref stops it. And he just sits back and just looks at his arm while it's hanging like the wrong way. And he's like, oh, yeah. Okay,
0: you can't break the guy, which is more than can be said for a lot of light heavyweights. And he's a good athlete, despite not appearing to be the most athletic guy. He hits hard, he's fast enough, and he has good shot selection for attaining finishes. So he has really good
1: shot selection. Yeah, all, all, all of his all of his knockouts in the UFC are very aesthetic.
0: And he keeps at things that are working. He was landing right hands the entire fight. He just needed to find one that would actually kill him. If he's finding shots of the body, he'll keep going for the body. Like, no matter what it is, if it's landing, he'll keep going for it.
1: So, yeah, Jamal Hill should probably be fighting someone like, I don't know, Volcan And Johnny Walker should just be, j- just let this be a lesson to matchmakers about giving a guy a push because he got a bunch of silly knockouts in the first minute. Yeah, Carl orcus versus Jamie Pickett. Um, yeah, it was short notice and Carl Dorcas was kind of just better than Jamie Pickett anyway, and just, just took him down and submitted him pretty easily. That was it.
0: Yeah. It took a little while, you know, Pickett isn't a weak guy, so it, it can take a bit to submit him, but Dorcus just, he just stayed in there. And then by the end of the round, Pickett ended up tapping with like a second left or something are we even going to mention Parker Porter's fight?
1: I mean it was just kind of a just kind of a sloppy heavyweight fight. That was it. Parker Porter was getting a bit of love in his first few UFC fights just for being just for being a chunky guy who was outworking people, putting out big numbers, but this fight really showed that there's a ceiling on how much Parker Porter is going to be able to do that because um, I'm not trying to be mean, but Alan Badeau shouldn't be in the UFC. Um, but fuck all that, because Jim Miller, the crazy old bastard, did it again. Uh, this In this fight, he tied Donald Cerrone's record for the most wins in UFC history, and he fucking did it in style. Um, I thought Jim Miller had reached a point in his career where he pretty much had to win by first round submission because he would get tired. He wouldn't be able to maintain out grappling people for three rounds and he would just get put on his back and just give up miserable decisions. And just watching him lose fights to Joe Selecki and Vince Puschel like that just fucking sucked. Um, But he's just gone, oh, fuck that. I'm just going to start knocking these guys out. and He's done it in his last two fights. He has almost no knockouts on his record prior to that. And it was, a, it was a beautiful knockout. Like he, you know, we said that Nicholas Motta was going to be a very, he's just a very limited power puncher. And he was just plodding around looking for the same couple bombs. And Jim Miller, you, you know, you got to do something. You got to get up earlier in the morning than that to surprise Jim Miller. So Jim Miller just low kicked the shit out of him and then leaped in with a beautiful right hook. Fucking starched him, had to finish him on the ground. Was was awesome.
0: Yeah, a great workaround for if you're starting to notice your cardio declining and you're a grappler is to just stop grappling and knock them the fuck out. Mm -hmm. Because power carries a lot longer into your career than your cardio does. So if you've never been known as a guy that knocks people out, people aren't going to worry about your hands very much. And Jim Miller has been capitalizing on people just not respecting him enough on the feet.
1: Which is stupid because he's never been a knockout guy, but you know, he dropped Dwayne Ludwig before submitting him in, like, 2010. Like, he's always been able to look after himself on the feet. He's just mostly been getting the finishes by submission.
0: And the experience difference was absurd. Jim Miller has as many losses as Nicholas Mata has fights. Yep. And they're not losses to bad guys. Like, that's valuable experience, even though I'm mentioning that he has a ton of losses.
1: One of those is a split decision with Dustin Poirier. <laughs>
0: yeah. And, like, he's been submitted by Charles Oliveira. He has a lot of really good losses. He lawsuits.
1: also submitted Charles Oliveira. Yep. He said he wants to be on UFC 300, and I can see it. Uh, Joaquin Buckley versus Abdul Razak Al-Hassan was fucking weird. Uh, I don't think anybody saw this one going to decision, and it made me really concerned about the direction in which Joaquin Buckley's game is developing. Because I kind of, when he came into the UFC, I kind of had him pegged as just like a uh, squat, like pocket box of volume guy who will shoe shine the body. And he, it really seems that, and this may somewhat have been bought on by um, his insane meme knockout over Impa Kasanganai while he jumped off of one foot and knocked him out with a spinning back kick while he was having a kick parried. But it seems that he's really just like leaning into leading with huge left kicks from miles away, even though he's a five foot eight middleweight. And then feeling the need to be, you know, MMA well-rounded and shooting ridiculously explosive takedowns constantly, even though he doesn't have much of an idea what to do when he's on top. So he kind of just like tooled Al-Hassan up for two rounds and then almost fell victim to Al-Hassan's... What would have been Al-Hassan's only ever comeback win, where well, he kind of got 10 8 in the third round, just just getting beat up because he, he was exhausted and hadn't been able to get Al-Hassan in there, even though Al-Hassan gassed out in the second round. So yeah, this fight was weird, and it wasn't just weird because it looked like a jacked Vince Staples fighting a jacked Kendrick Lamar. Uh, it, 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 was, it, was, it was weird.
0: Yeah, I don't think Buckley has a very high ceiling, but I think he's going to fit comfortably where he is right now for a while. And Al Hassan is on his way out. So, yeah, a pretty meaningless fight generally, I
2: think.
1: Yeah, I mean yeah, literally all of Al Hassan's wins are first round knockouts. He's never won any other way. And they're less and less common these days. Yeah, so this was the other fight on the card where we were saying, uh, this guy's really good and probably should win, but he's old and might get killed. And uh, this time, the old guy got killed. Gabriel Benitez versus David Onama. This was maybe one of the best one-round fights I'd ever seen. It was fucking crazy. Benitez came out hot, looking like the Mowgli of old, thrown huge left body kicks, uh, stunned David Onama with a big left hand that like completely closed his eye. But David Onama um, showed why he's actually a re- pretty well-touted prospect and why the Mason-Jones loss shouldn't really lower his stock that much because he bit down, got Benitez to the cage, and threw a huge power combination that put Benitez out face down cold. It was brutal. It was exciting. Um, so, sad for fans of Mowgli, but uh, David Onama might, might be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and what we touched on really came to fruition in the preview where we were saying that if you give a counterpuncher that's willing to put himself on the fence a good bit, a guy that's fast and hits hard and has decent shot selection and is good at keeping someone in position whenever they get them there, it it was going to lead to a first-round finish pretty replicably, I think, in hindsight.
1: it seems like it. Even though Benitez came close enough to getting uh, his own first-round finish. But it definitely also seems to be a thing with Gabriel Benitez where you know once he starts landing clean, he can get a little bit wild and if he thinks he has his opponent closer to being out of there than he does. It's kind of exactly what happened to him in the Sadiq Youssef fight as well. So who do you want to see David Onama fight? Uh
0: anyone that is a competent wrestler but not a great one which is kind of hard to find in that division because it's either great wrestlers or people that it's just not a, a main fixture of their gra- their game it's more just something they have in their back pocket so i'm thinking if we can get onama versus someone in like the 25 to 15 range we would get a better gauge of where he should be at yeah and
1: as for gabriel benitez um Maybe, you know, remake the TJ Brown fight. Uh you could fight like you know, Charles Rosa or Damon Jackson. Just don't don't give him power punches anymore. I don't want to see it. Uh Jessica Rose Clark versus Stephanie Eger. I definitely really underrated Stephanie Egger because I just hadn't really done my homework, I'll admit that. Um and there was definitely some questionable decisions on Clark's part that led up to the finish, but it was a very nice armbar finish from Stephanie Agger.
0: Yeah, I think Jess Rose-Clark needs to recognize that uh, she is a power striker who needs to stop actively pursuing grappling in any scenario because it was kind of a reactive takedown she did to get herself out of a bad position that ended up getting her in, on the ground when she got submitted. But still, like, that shouldn't even be in her game. She needed to separate immediately. She is not as good at grappling as she seems to think she is.
1: It was just the clear um, path of least resistance in her last fight, so I could understand that. But it was weird how much of this fight she just spent hanging out in the clinch with someone whose specialization is as a Judica. And, yeah, she ends up getting hip-tossed, put in in a scarf hold, uh, you know, gives up, Gives up her back trying to get out of it. And then Stephanie Yeager takes the back, but then transitions to the arm. And, you know, well, once she'd established the, uh, the armbar position, it was just like, it was, it was systematic. Like, like you, it was one of those you knew the armbar was coming like a minute before it happened. Okay, so that's us for this week. I already plugged the Patreon earlier, so I'm not going to do that again. This has been the Forbidden Technique Podcast. You can catch us next week where we'll be recapping all the action from UFC Makachev versus Green. Um, we have an off week next week for UFC cards at least, so maybe we'll find something else to talk about. But then the week following that is UFC 272 with Colby Covington versus Jorge Masvidal in the main event and Rafael dos Anjos versus Rafael Fiziev has been rebooked in the co-main event. So yeah, we'll catch you guys later. Peace. Later.